0: Welcome to The Waggle, presented by Sport Clips, the official podcast of the Canadian Football
1: League.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to The Waggle Podcast, and as you know by now, every Waggle Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Sport Clips, who are known Feather Sport Clips MVP haircut experience, which includes shampoos that are massaged right into your scalp, hot steam towels for your beautiful face, and sports on TV like, for example, hockey, baseball, basketball. Oh, and of course, football, the best sport of all. It is good to be a guy. It is good to be a Sport Clips guy. And it's really good for me to be the host of this podcast this week. I mean, it's good for me to be the host of this podcast every week but especially when you get to talk to an OG a legend in the game so much wisdom in his voice alone never mind his stories I'm referring to Hugh Campbell and I want to catch up with him because I want to revisit um maybe the the I don't know if it's the greatest trade, but it's it's the trade with the most notoriety. It's the biggest trade of recent memory in the CFL where he, in 1993, did an 8-for-8 eight eight player swap that really changed the landscape for the Edmonton and Toronto organizations at that time. So Hugh Campbell coming up on the waggle. And later, we're going to catch up with Rick Moffat. We have been doing on on this very space you know an extended version of our remote reunions which you can find on our website cfl.ca it is the remote reunion revisited driven by kubota and we're talking about the owls the 09 owls speaking of winning in the great cup the man synonymous with that very thing hugh campbell is up next on the way So here on the Waggle, the absence of some real-life football to talk about, in the near future we've tried to talk to you know some of the greatest names and people and minds uh in our canadian game and when you say those things those adjectives there's a name that obviously comes to mind and that is uh, hugh campbell who has been inspiring and innovative both as a player and as an executive and really as a builder in the foundation of our game so hugh thank you so much for taking the time and and first and foremost I, i just love to know you know, for you, someone who loves, you know, the game so much, um, what has this year been like um, without it? You know, for decades, you could, you know, set your watch to the cadence of when things happen in the CFL, and that's not the case in the same way this year. What has that been like for you? Well, it's been uh,
1: really different and uh, uh, disappointing that there was no season. Uh, We've, our family has put uh, our uh, lives uh, into Canadian football league and the marketing of the game and the uh, fun of of building football teams and, and the competition and with the eye always on the whole league, not just on one team we're happened to be dealing with at the time. So uh, it's, there's been a void and, uh, I'm hoping that uh, we can keep uh, fans interested enough to really come back with a bang next year and maybe make an effort to come to uh, twice as many games as they did the year before all this happened. Um, But uh, we we have a great product. Uh, The NFL has tried to come to us as far as the way the games played uh years ago when i first was around the canadian football league people in canada were talking how someday we'd be playing for down football like they do in the states and they actually the game's gone the other way where uh the the nfl has gone to way more of a uh a diversified attack has a, uh, come to having more receivers in the game and It's just good to know that we had the exciting game that we bragged about all through the years and that actually the game has come more towards uh, having a lot of motion and having uh, a lot of different skill players that could uh, make the attack instead of handing off to the same running back over and over again.
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that because... You know, when I look at the game, you know, when I was growing up, certainly the college game and now the NFL game, so much of the foundation comes from things that were invented in the CFL the zone read run scheme, the, you know, the run option being a a big um, thing offensively, using pre snap motion to really understand um, what the coverage is going to be like, uh, you know, attacking the width of the field, not just, you know, the depth of field, and, you know, defensively getting, you know, some smaller more athletic players closer to the the box to to make plays when did you start to see that change that the american game was starting to pattern itself after the CFL game and not vice versa
1: well i i think it just uh as a player i used to think now i I like a lot of receivers probably did i just uh, used to think you know we could throw all day here the field's so big and just as a player People would say, well, how many passes do you think you're going to catch? And my answer was always, that's not up to me. That's the coach and the quarterback decides that. And uh, I knew there was a lot more that could happen. And then when I coached, uh, my first head coaching job was in the States at a small college. I started experimenting with some of those things, uh, not having a big tight end, but having somebody that could, not only block but also could uh catch passes downfield and and so by the time i got to edmonton we that was one of the first things we did we traded away an all-league tight end and played two slot backs and uh, it was it was just a few years after that i remember leo cahill who was coaching in toronto at that time uh saying how we had in Edmonton had changed the Canadian game develop wise that everybody pretty soon would be doing what we were doing and so I'm kind of proud to be a part of all of that just a small part but a part of it and uh, I had a tremendous coaching staff that were very creative and uh, willing to be different than everybody else and it was fun to to take the game to a, a different deal. And of course, pretty soon the defense was catching up and playing more defensive backs and all the things that you uh, hit on as you introduced this subject. Of, um, a lot of that stuff with the, the reads and all that uh, came from having uh, lots of athletes uh, in the game and taking advantage of all of them. and. Um, I always felt that um, that it, the defense was the, the side of the ball that was the key if you're going to win championships. And um, we had some good, really good defensive coaches throughout the whole league who came along with the motion and all that that they had to defend against and did things to um, to make it hard on the offense. And it just made the game very strategic and uh, where the team behind always had a chance to win i know that from being on the rules committee that one of the, the subjects whenever we talked about a rule change one of the things that always came up was does this give the team behind a better chance to catch up and that's the way we thought we could market the game and sell tickets is uh make the game something where people didn't know ahead of time who was going to win the game
2: that's fascinating because it really it has become you know one of the not official catchphrases but ones that people say casually is that in the cfl no lead is safe and certainly yeah. you know that has been the case you you mentioned marketing the game is there a, a, a fundamental difference or change in the way that you see the game was marketed historically to the way it needs to be marketed now to make sure that it's still uh, successful and thriving
1: well there's uh people more involved than i am more into it than i am i think i the one thing i could still say to somebody is keep always think about does are we going to sell more tickets if we do this whatever it is whether it's what we do as players on the field or what we do as players off the field, what we say and do as coaches and general managers, um, you know, whatever this is, whatever decision we make, and where do the people have to park, how they have to get into the stadium, to ride a train, how do they get from the train to the ballpark, whatever it is, and when they get in, What do they see first? Do they smell onions and stuff on the barbecue, you know, where it makes it uh, like a picnic and give them that feeling that we're at at the ballpark. And just, it's all about that. And uh, one of the things in the right current now that I watch is that how the players um, uh, treat the fans is going to be really important after this year off and with all the talk about this or that and the other thing uh remember that we we are the product and the fans are the customer so uh, we don't want to spend our uh, energy uh, lecturing the fans on where they should sit or how they should uh, dress for the game or what they should think politically or anything else. We wanna just have them be our customer. It's it's three hours to, for them of away from work, away from uh, the problems of life and other challenges in life. And we wanna give them the best product possible and the most entertainment and have them be proud of us as uh, uh, something that they take as their game and it is Canadians game and and it's special and it's different. And uh, it's a bunch of players, half Canadian, half American uh, that are all uh, very talented and they all have a lot more in common than they uh, might think. And, um, and so then it opens doors to where the league has players in uh, that have been leaders of the country later on, and have been leaders of the provinces, and uh, and um, be, and been successful in business, and successful as teachers and uh, community people, and so um, the CFL I think is uh, the backbone that's important in canada and uh and uh, lots and lots of people in the united states love our game now that we've been having it on television in in the states uh more steadily lots of people watch that game and say you know they're interested where the players are from what school they might have attended but also they're interested in the style of play and it's kind of what realize that uh, there's a lot quicker pace with the 22nd huddle clock and all of that. So um, I'm obviously a big fan of Canadian football, but so are lots of people I know that have never even been to Canada.
2: There's so many people who, you know, think fondly uh, of, of those times and, and, you know, fans um, get excited often uh, by big trades, you know, they think of the Ricky Ray trade, but you pulled off a trade that's, I think, even more remarkable. Where sixteen players were included, I can't even pull off a fantasy trade where sixteen players were yeah. included in nineteen ninety three. What was the the goal, the mindset, and you know the hope, and you know trying to figure out a deal uh, so complex with so many moving parts?
1: Well, it wasn't meant to be that big of a deal. The, the mindset was that. When uh, John Candy came in the league, I gave him my. He and I were friends, and I gave him my commitment that we would make sure they had players and and make sure that uh, their team would be successful. And at the same time, uh, you know, we would be gonna be trying to beat him if we possibly could. And he laughed and stuff. And but when when it came time, he he wanted. Tracy Ham and uh, and I said, well, we're going to have to have Don Wilson, Wilson, a defensive back that could really uh, be a good team leader. And I said, you're getting a quarterback that we know we could win Grey Cups with, but we had other options. Uh, one time we had Matt Dunnigan and Damon Allen and Tracy Ham, and so. We would have rather, at that point, traded away one of the two older ones, but uh, they wanted Tracy Ham, and they had, had Mike McCarthy was kind of leading the, he was being the voice of t- Toronto, and uh, he kept saying, well, he, he didn't want to give up players, and we, I had Adam Rita, I don't know if you know that name, a coach from, of uh, years, years ago a great great friend of mine and was one of our really outstanding coaches at the time and so I told, talked to Adam about it and, and I said list all the players in order that you want would think help us because he had coached in Toronto and knew all the players really really well and so Adam gave me a list that had uh, Donnie Wilson on top but had some other guys, and uh, so I, I, I named off the guys, and uh, McCarthy uh, said, "Well, I've got to, I got to get some guys back. I can't just give away that many players and not get some guys back." And so we gave him a list. Anyway, it just ended up where. We kind of said, "Okay, what the heck? Let's make it eight for eight. And um, we were really glad to get the people we got, and and there were some good ones in there. Uh, We had uh, Eddie Brown could really run, and uh, K. Smith and uh, Leonard Johnson. Uh, But Donnie Wilson was the centerpiece for us. Ricky Foggy was a backup quarterback from Minnesota that had a lot of ability. And uh, we thought if we did get an injury, we knew we were going to have Damon Allen as the quarterback. But uh, anyway, it worked out to where we decided to go and make a big splash with how many players were traded, create an interest in Toronto, hopefully, to where they would – get people to come to ball games i don't think that in fairness to tracy ham who i think's a great i know is a great guy and and was a great player i don't think he walked into a situation where that he his skills were utilized so tracy didn't work out in toronto but a year later he became a star i think it was a year later in montreal and played several years in the league as a really good football players so it you know, got some good players somehow it didn't balance out with the strategy that the that they were using so i'm not sure if the coaches coaches were ever on the same page as management about which players were coming and going they would have a different story than i do but the intention was to have it be a win-win trade for everybody
2: Well, the coaches were certainly on the same page uh, when you were leading a dynasty uh, in Edmonton and and had, you know, Hall of Famers like Warren Moon uh, at the helm. I wonder these days, you know, what you're talking about with your son Rick and the counsel that you're giving him. He's got a unique challenge to try and build a dynasty like you did. He's in a new situation, but he's got a bit of a pause before the game starts and maybe a longer time to evaluate what he has, um, but also um, longer uh, before he can get in front of his players. You know, ooh, 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 what do you think about the prospects of what he's endeavoring to do in BC?
1: Well, I think the prospects are good. I'm, um, I'm excited. I, um, the first Canadian game I ever saw was the BC Lions at home against Ottawa when I was still in school. We went up to watch the game and that's, I actually watching that game said, this is a game that I was thinking then as a player, it was a game that I thought I could have success at. And so I'm excited to have him out in Vancouver and to see what uh, he can do there. I'm very, very proud of what he has accomplished as an assistant coach in the league coming up through the ranks with some really great coaches for him to learn from. And then to be, uh, you know, to have the success he had with an expansion team in Ottawa uh, just speaks well of their whole uh, coaching staff and their players and the town itself, how they really came out to support the team. I hope that they can do something uh, similar in BC. It's, um, you know, their league is tough. It's always a lot of competition. But. Um, one thing I have to steer you straight on is I I, I don't do much counseling to Rick. Um, if he got any, it was around the kitchen table as a kid. But uh, not. I watch him coach, and, and it amazes me the things they do nowadays. They've taken the game to a higher level, and and do some advanced things. Uh, he's also able to cope with. Uh, things that head coaches have to cope with where you have all kinds of challenges on and off the field. And every day there's uh, um, lots of things that have to get done. So It's a full life and uh, he seems to, to cope with it well. Um, And he's always a few plays ahead and you can tell that he uh, is quite good with the strategies as well as with, player relationships and gets a lot out of his players and his coaches but he will have his work cut out for him in this situation they're in now where uh the league is uh, paused and uh people are i'm sure they're um you know they're all talking to players and trying to make sure that everybody's ready for another season but they also have uh, had the frustration of not being able to get out on the field and really make sure. And it'll be interesting to see if the pause gives some of the older players fresher legs and play better, or if it gives them older legs and they don't play as well. So another year has slipped slipped by. So they're all a year older. Um, The question is if they're a year better or, If uh, they're getting to the point, and football's a relatively short career occupation, and uh, you have to keep moving and keep changing players to stay up with everybody, so I just feel like this year might have given some of the veterans an extra year to play. Yeah, well
2: we. we'll be looking forward to seeing the answer to that question in 2021 and we'll be looking forward to see uh, what, what Rick does in, in BC and I, I think clearly uh, he absorbed a lot you know at the dinner table throughout because he's started his career as you mentioned both as an assistant as a head coach and now in his current situation taking over some of the front office duties um, and he started it really really well it was been really really fun to catch up and, and to talk to you I, I hope you stay well and I hope uh, you know just like all of us that you you get to see um, you know some good Canadian football action in the n- near future thanks so much for taking the time
1: I'm really looking forward to it Donovan and uh, you did a great job with this uh, interviewing an old man and uh, carrying me through this conversation so I had fun and we'll all uh, be there there ready to go when the balls kicked off here uh this summer
2: i I would classify you as a wise man so i think you carried (laughs) me but it was fun nonetheless cheers thanks so much thank you man i don't know about you but i can listen to hugh campbell tell stories all day i feel like he was just in a rocking chair going back and forth uh and, and soothing me with his amazing voice talking about the good old days in the cfl and so again Thank you to Hugh for giving me that education, that lesson in in all things Canadian football. Um, If you want a resource that's gonna give you info about Canadian football coming out of La Belle Provence, the man you need to go to is Rick Moffitt. We talk to him coming up next after this.
1: For 107 years, every Grey Cup moment has included you, the fan. This is your league. Through fog and rain, in tragedy and triumph, you are the foundation of this league. Now, take your place in history. For a limited time, you can etch your name on the Grey Cup fan base. Become a part of the Grey Cup's legacy. Visit greycupfanbase.ca to add your name and raise the cup.
2: Waggle listeners, you know Athabasca University, Canada's online university, turned 50 this year. They want to celebrate... By giving away a CFL workspace makeover, and the prize includes $3,500 in gift cards for workspace upgrades plus exclusive CFL merchandise to deck out that very space. All you have to do is enter now at cflca backslashau au workspace makeover. That's cfl.ca/slash au workspace makeover. And as you know by now, we have been revisiting some of the CFL's great players, great teams, great times. Uh, we've been doing that uh, with our special feature on CFL.ca, our remote reunions driven by Kubota. And on the Waggle, we, we've had such a good time watching those. And and I, I know you have as well, listening as you interact with them online, that we figured we should continue the, the good memories and the nostalgia. And, expand on those conversations here in this platform. And who better to talk about um, one that recently went up than Rick Moffitt. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for for, for joining us and, and spending the time. And w- w- the team you know, that goes down in CFL history, and, and thus we wanted to hear from them again, was the 09 Al, still a standard bearer uh, across the league. When you look at the amount of great players um, that that team produce but also you know the amount of heartbreak that they had before they were able to get over the hump um and win with mark tressman what's your fondest memory of, of covering and being around that team
0: well that was uh the wonderful thing uh dj about uh this invitation just to relive those moments and to to see that cast of characters uh that you guys put together for the remote reunion uh, it was just so much fun because it was just such a vibrant locker room. Uh, there were a lot of introverts and guys who just, you know, the so-called consummate pros who went about their business. <laughs> but this was a wild cast of characters, and I know that Anthony Calvillo. Look, he's just such a level-headed, cerebral quarterback. And I know lots of people think of, you know, that that Tressman Calvillo uh small d or maybe even big d dynasty era as being calvio's team but but calvio kind of came out of his shell uh as 2009 arrived and and there were guys like avon coburn and jamel richardson and on defense gerald brown and and billy parker who just anwar stewart and john bowman who just brought so much energy to that room and and one of the things Mark Tressman did when he arrived in Montreal was he reshuffled some of the uh, cliques and comfort zones that players had built up over the years. And and everybody was kind of forced to mingle by their locker stall neighbors. And, and as Mark Tressman, who arrived the year before 2008, as he... Got to know the league and his own room better. He forced the players in two thousand eight and two thousand nine to get to know each other better, and and I think it really helped that team bonding exercise. Uh, you know, really helped this team get over. Uh, you know, what was an incredible hump, and, and you alluded to the heartbreaks, and I think it was fitting that. The 2009 Grey cup becomes, you know, the ultimate heart stopping comeback moment for that club.
2: What was the, the vibe in in the city, you know, going into that year with the heartbreak and the angst and the thought of, you know, concerns that maybe for whatever reason, the program at that time, wasn't going to be able to, to win the final game of the season and and cash in on what was a, a level of some sustained success.
0: Yeah, that's it. You have to remember the the context of that 2009 Grey Cup was unfulfilled promises and unfulfilled hopes. Uh Anthony Calvillo, his his Grey Cup one-lost record before 2009 was just 1 and 4. And I know he was Grey Cup MVP in 2002, but that was really a defensive struggle and and it was It was a struggle on the field that day for Anthony as well. You also have to remember 2008, the Alouettes hosted Grey Cup. Calgary pulls off the second half comeback in the Owls' house. And so here was yet another. The Owls had great hopes for a a Grey Cup win on home turf in 2001. They didn't even get to the final that year. And now in 2008, they had another shot in the Wettenhall ownership era to throw out the red white and blue confetti on home turf under the big old roof and they couldn't seal that deal either so there was immense pressure on Anthony Calvio and I believe on the entire organization and and maybe all those failures uh, that that uh, some of the Veterans, You know, guys like Scott Flory and, and Anthony and Ben had been around since 1998 when the team was in a string of consecutive losses in Eastern Finals. They lost four in a row at, at the franchise's rebirth from from 96 through 99. Then they get to the Grey Cup in 2000 only to lose uh, to an unlikely underdog club of BC Lions. They win for the dawn. Don Matthews in his debut season, and so expectations in 2008 were so high that Mark Tressman, like the Don, would taste instant success. Unrealistic. He, he had to learn the CFL. He had to learn about 57 plus three, <laughs> but oh my goodness, we could, none of us could have expected the Alouettes to swat that mammoth the uh, King Kong gorilla off their backs uh, the way they did in 2009. I know the 13th man is, has come to be how so many people know that game. In the moment, calling the game on the national radio broadcast, uh, I didn't call it the 13th man, but I did call it a miracle comeback. and And it was miraculous as you watch it again. But the expectations for this team were so high and they were so so stacked uh on offense and defense with with veterans and an infusion of of young talent as well and uh and so yeah it's so fun to see the faces uh who were brought together again for the remote reunion the the biggest surprise to me was that. Uh, jamel and avon were uh were were taking a back seat maybe out of deference to to anthony on the remote reunion because either on the sidelines or in the clubhouse uh you know they were just such vocal presences
2: (laughs) uh, that's funny i mean um it, it was just good to see all the guys back together smiling laughing again and, you know, some of the older guys on that team uh, in the in the years since when when people have talked about the Calgary team and that dynasty and how, you know, some of those Calgary teams may have been in consideration for the best ever. I know John Bowman, and our Stewart, Scott Flurry have been real vocal to say, wait, wait a minute, look at 09, look at what we did, look at, you know, some of the statistics we put up. We deserve to be in the conversation for the best team ever. But you mentioned it, and I was going to go there with my next question, so I'm glad you did. Not only was that game close in the Grey Cup against the Riders, despite the fact the Owls were so dominant throughout the regular season, they had a second lease at life in that game. Because of the 13th man, this game is not as fondly remembered in, in Saskatchewan uh, in Regina as it is in, in Montreal. Uh, and the one maybe big missing person that we'd love to hear from in that reunion was Damon Duvall because you know, <laughs> what must have been going through his mind, uh, I can only imagine. Take me through, you know, that that period, which seems like, you know, 10 minutes, but it was probably, you know, one or two minutes. And what that was like for you, um, you know, as, as a broadcaster who's seen a lot in Canadian football, but, but maybe has never seen something like that before.
0: Yeah, well, I can tell you honestly, uh, in, in doing Alouette football on the radio since 1996, the, the, the game end uh, call is still... Uh, as the players allude to on the uh, Kubota Remote Reunion, still made the hairs on the back of my neck tingle. And I, and I still get goosebumps when I see the, the, the TSN video highlights of that game and, and specifically uh, the Call It game end. And, and to me, it, it does do a disservice to, to that team And to that coaching staff to say, well, it's the 13th man. and It all came down because of the flags on that one play. Because to me, it is the most remarkable second-half comeback. Anthony Calviu in that game is getting pummeled and pummeled early. But you see repeatedly, he takes off with the football and never takes the safety slide. Uh, Multiple opportunities where he's he's fighting and grinding for every extra yard uh, because he knows what's at stake the defense you know you look at the veterans uh anwar stewart uh, chip cox and john bowman gerald brown and and billy parker davis sanchez made a great point uh, recalling that it was uh, jb and uh, and billy parker who who flaps the the arms at every uh, takeaway for that defense uh, uh truly the the ball hawks uh and and he comes up with a pick. Brown comes up with a pick. It was perfect defense in that fourth quarter and for most of the second half. And it and it jump started. Finally, Anthony Calvillo, like a safe cracker, the, you know the he's turning the dials on the safe, and finally the mechanisms start tumbling back into pace, into place. And on so many of those vital completions whether short passes to to keep drives alive or going downfield deep for big plays. Repeatedly, AC is threading the needle, sometimes into double, even triple coverage, it looks like at times, to connect with the array of receivers, whether it was Jamel Richardson, whether it was Ben Cahoon uh, diving to the end zone on a clutch touchdown or or Brian Bratton and some of the other supporting cast Kerry Watkins as well an incredible receiver core uh, and and Avon Coburn was just such a ferocious warrior in the backfield uh, whether and such a versatile guy uh, a a triple threat running back in the sense that he could swing out of the backfield as a receiver hit the holes and bounce off contact Uh, but he was also a tenacious blocker as well trying to buy Anthony more time and uh you know <laughs> when when uh when I think about that broadcast and and calling that you know that final kick what made it all the more sweet for me DJ you know lots of players are asked uh you know if it's if they're back you know in their old uh, stomping ground or if it's a revenge match game for them was there any special motivation And the players always, you know, tell little white lies and say no, no, no. There, there's none of that. For me, it was a bit of a grudge call for me, Uh, (laughs) uh, because by halftime, uh, I, I had, I had watched and listened in the broadcast booth as the longtime voice of the Riders, then uh, Rod Peterson, had called the first half, and he smugly told me at halftime that he was going to head down to the Riders' locker room and uh, alluded to, you know, maybe getting the jump on the cigars and the champagne. And the arrangement was then I would call the second half. And (laughs) I was so downhearted at the prospect of calling the second half of the game, yet another postseason disappointment for the Alouettes. And, Uh, And one of the things that really struck me was the halftime performance. Donovan, it was, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it clearly. It was Blue Rodeo. (laughs) And they closed out their set with Lost Together, one of their hit songs. (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, the Alouettes (laughs) are lost together. (laughs) And... And I just somehow uh, kind of stuck in my head and I settled into the booth then for uh, my call of the second half. And I said to the national producer at the time, I said, look, if the Alouettes, if this game is still out of reach at the three minute warning, I'm going to step aside. And why don't you guys invite the voice of the Riders?" for what would be the victory call at game end because I knew in my heart of hearts I couldn't bring myself to do justice on the call <laughs> should the Riders win and the Alouettes uh, drop to one and five uh, in Grey Cup games uh, on my broadcast watch if you will and and they kind of say well nice uh, nice of you to offer but let's just see how this all unfolds and then Things fall into place defensively. Uh, Anthony is buying himself time. The O-line locks in. Uh, Scott Flory and uh, and uh, Paul Lambert and uh, you know some of the warriors who had been through so many of the heartbreaks in postseason and Grey Cups. Uh, they start to pick up on their blocks and and Anthony, if given time. And given the opportunity to find a way, will make you pay. And, uh, and I was just so thrilled to see again the highlight of Ben Cahoon diving to the end zone in the key comeback drives. And, and Jay Rich coming up with clutch plays, catch after catch. And, and Ben was, you know, Ben was always known as like, he was never a flamboyant guy. Uh, and was always one of those toss the football back to the officials after his touchdowns but he had always been uh a part of the swagger uh going back to you know earlier uh moments on that franchise 2002 and and he was always part of the uh choreographer for the the more outgoing and extroverted receivers back in the day when the owls had guys like jermaine copeland who starred in the 2002 Grey cup win um, it was always Ben who was helping choreograph some of the celebrations, the outlandish ones, even if he never joined in. And so it was fun for me to see again on that remote reunion, Ben making a grab inside the five and and diving through the air to the end zone. And it was about as flashy as as Ben would ever get down near the goal line. And 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 Jay Rich, uh, you know, just such a big target and just knew how to to position himself against the uh, DBs and and uh for Anthony to be on the money to near perfection his passer efficiency in that second half you know goes pretty much off the charts after the struggles of the first half and that to me is is the you know uh the hidden wonder of that second half comeback not the 13th man but for me it it truly was the perfect storm in that second half and then that for me is how it will always be remembered as the miracle comeback
2: It, it will for sure i many people will remember it fondly uh because they heard you call it and and You know, now we are re-remembering it fondly because we're hearing you talking about it again. And I think, I suspect, given, you know, another youthful, youthful, exciting locker room and another coach uh, shaking things up, that the Owls might be back in hostile territory for a Grey Cup sooner rather than later, whether it's in Hamilton or in Saskatchewan. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, bring us back to, to some fond memories in CFL lore.
0: It really was a pleasure. Thanks so much.
2: So that's it from us this week. Thanks again to Hugh Campbell and Rick Moffitt. Give Rick a follow. At Rick Moffitt, that's M-O-F-F-A, single T, Rick Moffitt. Uh, Anything on the CFL, and specifically all of the breaking news with the Alouettes, he is your go-to source. Speaking of... Go to sources. CFL.ca is your go to source for everything about the CFL. Obviously, we continue to pump out videos for you. That's where our remote reunions driven by Kubota can be found. Chris O'Leary is doing a great job continuing to write content, but also writing great recaps for those as well. And if you go to a website, scroll all the way to the right, you will see a tab called Great Cup Unite. Click it. That gives you all of the information. And eventually, once we get there, content around gray cup unite so make sure you bookmark that as well and while you're online do us a favor like favorite share subscribe to this very podcast rate it give five stars or just if you're not gonna give five stars don't rate it at all but you should rate it and you should give five stars it would be much appreciated and i specifically appreciate you listening and getting this deep in the podcast until next time thanks for listening
0: The WEG, presented by Sport Clips, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.